you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to help you make money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. This market has some of the absolute dumbest sellers I have ever seen. They know nothing! Oh, no, I'm not talking about the whole market. Where we got a battle again between the dovish Federal Reserve and angry hedge funds who see bond yields should be soaring in response to rampant inflation. And it's not happening. That took a more place out every day, including the, today. Dow gained 11 points. S&P rose 0.19%. The Nasdaq, which is historically cheap if rates remain this low, rallied 0.59%. I think Fed Chief Jay Powell is right, and the inflation, inflationistas are mistaken. But reasonable people can disagree about monetary policy. No, no, it's not, it's not what I'm talking about. That's that blabbers I hear all day. It's like, it's like, it's like you know, something, it's like, a, it's like a perpetual sound machine. No, I am talking about the idiotic sellers. Yes, I mean the shorts and the brain-dead, plain vanilla sellers who keep selling the sainted stocks of AMC and GameStop to the mobs. Mobs who are determined to take it higher. They want them higher. Listen, I know these stocks are too expensive based on traditional valuation metrics. They mean nothing. Who wants to go back to AMC's movie theaters now that we've spent over a year perfecting our home entertainment setup, getting used to longer form productions like, like Mayor of Easttown or, or the, uh, the Crown, Queen's Gambit? Who wants to pay 20 bucks for a couple of waters and a box of raisinets? Plus, the, few co- the film companies, well, they've changed the game, right? They now want their first runs to appear in their own streaming services. Plus, you think Amazon won't do that with MGM if they buy that? If you want to see the next Bond, you need Prime, which is a heck of a lot cheaper than going to the movies. Alexa, play Goldfinger. So believe me, I get the bear case. I get why so many hedge fund managers think that AMC is like The Walking Dead Season 11, even with the crafty Adam Aaron running the joint. If you only cared about the fundamentals, including the debt-laden balance sheet, you would have thought betting against this stock would be like, yes, shooting fish with a machine gun. 
in a barrel. But Aaron took one look at the hopelessness of the situation. He put his best face on to talk about any state that opened a movie theater anywhere, even if he hoped that, well, you know what? The customers will, sp- will take these. Like, hey, I take this to every movie theater. You're allowed to carry it in. Anyway, what he didn't count on was the most amazing force I've seen in ages. A group of ferocious buyers who hated the short sellers viscerously. They did viscerous hatred and allowed AMC to raise cash by selling stock in the open market endlessly. Normally, most buyers would run away from a supposedly doomed situation. But the tip sheet that is Wall Street bets, a wonderful site, full of scatological and prurient, horrible things that I hope my kids never see. Uh, created a cadre of buyers who didn't care about the usual standards. You know, like things like sales, revenue, cash flow, death balance sheets, these outdated silly little things. No, they lapped up all the stock that AMC sold, 43 million shares at just around 10, and they saved the day for the happy warrior. It was brilliant. They got him a great price, and then the stock was free to ramp higher, and it has ever ramped higher. What a rocket! To the moon, diamond something. At this point, it should be obvious that if you try to short AMC, you're going to end up just like the guys who shorted it in January. You're an idiot. The Wall Street Bets crew will run you over just like the tanks rolled over hapless soldiers in World War II. If anything, shorting this kind of stock is what sends it higher. It can go up 70% when they raise capital because when the bulls crush you, it's Pamplona, partner. you got to buy back your shares at a higher price in order to close out your position. Have you ever been? Do you know I used to own Longhorns? Holy cow. They kill you just to get the box of donuts in your hands. So why the heck did many, so many hedge fund managers try to short this thing again? Why are regular sellers offering stock? Well, they could have just gotten out of the way. Instead, they turned themselves into fodder for the Wall Street Bets cohort, which is why AMC was up 19% just today. They can probably gun it up to the mid-20s on the back of this latest short squeeze. And if the plain vanilla sellers just walk away, wow. You know what? Memo to all the sellers tomorrow. Take a breather. Go to the movies. Do something interesting. I don't know. What's interesting? Watch some, watch some Netflix. Go to work even. But stop selling your AMC and see what happens. And we're seeing the same thing with the stock at GameStop. Now, I was actually worried about this video game retailer because it's lost its reason for being in a world where everybody just downloads their games online. These days, you don't need GameStop except for for hardware, and anybody can sell you hardware. But GameStop, it's got a savior, the insurgent-turned-insider whom nobody knows called Ryan Cohen, a man of great mystery, who's also decided to sell company stock in order to fix the balance sheet, just like Adam Aaron. The Wall Street Bets crowd helped make it happen. Many agreed to lap up that stock that's being offered. And now that the balance sheet can be fixed by that, not that it was all that bad, and all that stock is now placed with the Wall Street Bets people, this thing can boom again along with them all. GameStop could potentially turn itself around, although we have no idea what it'll turn itself around into. Is it really worth $17 billion? Abstraction. Who cares? Only an idiot asks that kind of question now. It's irrelevant. Because this isn't investing. This is the ultimate stock fight club. You think I learned this stuff wearing a suit at Goldman Sachs, the two things that make them really hate me? The last time a bunch of hedge funds shorted GameStop, the bulls practically drove them out of business. You'd think it would be a cautionary tale, right? 
Don't try to short something with such a rabid fan base. Keep your stock. Stay out of the ring. Yet these money managers and individuals keep selling the stock like there's nothing going on here. Like, oh, man, let's offer some stock. Maybe the buyers will take us. Are you out of your minds? Listen to me, sunshine. This thing going higher. What kind of chowder heads offer stock at 225 or 235? It closed up 33 to 242 to a group of buyers who are desperate to drive it. Their price target is 250 or 300. Now, on Wall Street, they have these price targets. Oh, I'm taking my price target up for NVIDIA 700. These guys have real price targets and firepower. I've never seen anything like this. A group of buyers with no sensitivity to price. They'd rather pay 280 than 240. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine going to a store and you say, well, how much is that sweater? And they say $30. Can I pay 50? How much is that? You know, I got this one. Look at this. This is a Ferragamo, right? 180 bucks. Hey, you know what? Do you mind if I pay 300 for that? Why not? Okay, now, these people don't have unlimited firepower, but they've got enough firepower to engineer a short squeeze anytime a bunch of professionals decide to bet against this thing. Sellers go away, come back, on back. I was trying to do like a ditty, you know, like, a, you know, like that sell in May nonsense that didn't work. Sellers uh, go away. Come on back another day when game stops at 300. Ah. Now, it's not that the bulls know some secret about Ryan Cohen's turnaround plan. They're just committed to buying this thing, and they steamroll the shorts whom they hate and lob up the long stock whom they think are stupid, often much higher than you thought possible. Anyone who tries to fight this move is out of their minds. Just let it go up already. You can ring register at a higher level. I'm tired of you. Now, there's one thing I don't understand. The meme stock believers only seem to like AMC and GameStop. But now they've got a lot of new capital thanks to these rallies, right? They can train their guns on any number of stocks. I got a couple for them. And just because I, they may take them just because they hate me and then spite me by saying that I said sell them because they love truth because it's periodically interesting to them. All right, here we go. First, they could open up the howitzers on the people selling Beyond Meat, which has a gigantic 22% short position, even though it's doing some incredible deals at McDonald's just now. How about that China KFC deal? Wowza! Plus, the great reopening will allow CEO Ethan Brown to sell into all the different cafeterias that are back in business. In the meantime, Beyond Meat has lowered prices, improved the taste of its plant-based substitute. I think it would be very easy for the Wall Street bets to gun this one, engineer a short squeeze, wipe out the shorts, make a lot of people pay and then go home and have uh how about a how about a wendy's bacon there <laughs> second ford all right here's a stock that jumped 8.5 percent today oh they like that immediately uh, after ceo jim farley announced that he wants to be second to none in electric vehicles here in the u.s he's throwing down the gauntlet against elon musk more important if Farley can pull up this transformation, the company will be able to plow even more money into EV, so it's a virtuous circle. He intends to outsell Tesla's new Cybertruck with the electric 5 F-150 truck, now 70,000 reservations. Okay, so maybe it should be 82,300. I don't know, but it's working. Sellers, get out of the way. Here comes the Bronco, the Mustang Mach-E, and the F-150 Lightning, America's most popular truck. Why sell this stock here? Walk away. Let him take it to 15. All right, finally, how about Roblox? Now, I am relentless in this Roblox because it is going higher. When the online gaming company came public via direct list, and the insiders sold very little stock, they're believers. The only real stock for sale is from investors who bought it earlier and now ring the register thinking it's a good trade. I think that's nuts. Roblox is putting up some stunning numbers. Again, it'd be easy for the Wall Street Bets crew to sop up a couple of days worth of stock, take it to 90, take it to 110 practically overnight, then write all about it and say, I hate Kramer. He said to, he said to sell Roblox, and we bought it. That way they get everything. Their whole zeitgeist is in there. They're even happy because they can trash me. And I like that. 
because I'm from Philadelphia. Honestly, the craziest thing about the Wall Street bets crowd is that they don't know their own strength. Maybe they're worried that they don't have enough ammo to take on more than two stocks. I think they're wrong. I think they're selling themselves short. Here's the bottom line. Anyone shorting AMC or GameStop is out of their mind. Anyone selling, just walk away and watch how high they can take it. Wall Street Bets is too powerful, and trying to bet against them right now is just giving them more ammo. I'm just surprised they don't apply the same playbook to the Kramer Wall Street Bet faves, to the man Diamond Hands, emoji, 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 beyond me, Ford, Roblox. How's that? That's why I went to Harvard and Harvard Law to get stupid. Charlie in New York, Charlie. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Booyah. Thanks for taking my call, man. No problem. First and foremost, I want to give a big shout out to my dad, Charlie Jr. He got me started with investing not so long ago with the help of Jimmy Chill. We've done fairly well for ourselves. So That's thank what you I want to hear. That's what I want to hear. Jim, I like that. And Jim, walk away from GameStop, man. They want that thing at 400. Let's give them their due. Jim, my question's about an airline stock. This, this stock has taken off since you suggested it back in January as a reopening play. How much more room on the runway does Southwest Airlines got? And do you still love it as a buy? I love it. I love it even more. I L-U-V it, which happens to be the stock symbol. It's at 61. I think it goes to 75. You know, look, this is Gary Kelly. He knows how to run an airline, even when everyone's running out of business. He'd be the man to back, and I say back him. All right, listen to me, Wall Street Best Crowd. I know you love me, and I feel the same, obviously, right? And I'm just surprised you're not targeting beyond meat. Oh, come on, 22% short. Come on, you're salivating. Or do you really have to have GMO in your meat? Uh, Ford Motor, hey, you know what? Got the momentum going against Musk. Good narrative there. Roblox, I know you probably don't like games that are safe, but a lot of parents do. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, it's a big day for so. Oh, I take that back. I didn't mean it. And I'm covering all the bases here. First off, I'm sitting down with the CEO of Workday to find out what's working in its most recent quarter. Then I'm talking all the things identity with the CEO of Okta and dissecting his high-octane report in a blizzard in May. I'm talking to the CEO of Snowflake to find out more about the court. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. 
You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. In the last few months, the cloud-based software stocks have all been hammered as part of this kind of rotation out of the stay-at-home stocks into the great reopening stocks. But what if some of these software-as-a-service plays could also be reopening plays? Take Workday, the cloud-based software company that helps businesses automate back-office jobs and financial planning and human resources. This is one of our cloud kings, but last year it lagged because it's peers, uh, it's peers because Workday tends to sign big, complicated deals with its customers. These deals were often deferred as enterprises had to shift their tech budgets toward collaboration software and, of course, cybersecurity. Now that the world's going back to normal, Workday just reported a good quarter after the close today. More importantly, the subscription revenue growth guidance for the next quarter came in higher than expected. They raised their full year forecast. We got some accelerated revenue growth here. The margins are looking better, too. Plus, management announced an ambitious plan. I think this is most important to expand its workforce by 20 percent this year and not the same kind of people you think that always get these. So let's take a closer look with Anil Bushreeze, the co-founder, chairman and CEO of Workday, to learn more about the quarter when where you're headed, Mr. Bush. We welcome back to Mad Money. It's great to be with you, Jim. And, Neil, I always felt that you were at a tremendous disadvantage during the pandemic because your products are complex. They involve the digital background of an institution. And that while Zoom is a terrific, terrific product, I would like to think that if I was a head salesperson for Workday, I want to be in the face of the person. Well, now you're going to. So shouldn't I presume <laughs> if these are the numbers you can do off of Zoom, how much better can you do face-to-face? So, uh, so first of all, we saw the acceleration we were hoping for in, in new bookings, and so that was a really good sign. During, during the, the worst parts of the pandemic, our HR product line actually held up pretty well because people were focused on understanding how their employees were doing, uh, employee experience, employee engagement was everything, but finance lagged. And what we saw in the first quarter was uh, the transformation of the CFO office is back in, in full force. And I expect us to have a very good year. Now, when you say we have to have people understand this, we do finance. A lot of times that's because two companies merge and maybe you come out ahead. I've seen that time and again. A lot of it is just because people are, are somewhat actually not realizing that there's a digital component to this. And you have to do what I regard as almost missionary work. How does that go? Well, so so we are definitely going through a digital transformation of uh, of the office of the CFO. Uh, the tools of the past, if if they were lacking before the pandemic, they were showing to be extremely lacking during the pandemic. They were not flexible. If you had a plan multiple times, which almost all all companies had to replan. Uh, they, they just couldn't keep up. And so now we see great demand for this digital transformation in the cloud with flexible uh, modern applications. And, and you know, Workday's message has been the same f- for, for a while now. You can plan, execute, and analyze all in one system. And, and that message is really resonating and, and it, it, it's, uh, it's manifesting itself in the numbers. And I think during the pandemic, these projects were large projects and some of, the, some of them got put on hold but now they're now they're being uh, 
opened up and released again. And so we're, we're very optimistic. Well, it sounds like you're seeing people traveling again. A lot of people said it wouldn't happen. We had Zoom and people wouldn't resume travel. That's not the case. People are, people are traveling. I, I think it's a, a combination of the vaccinations and, and COVID rates going down. Uh, and, you know, just having a handle on, on, uh, on COVID, we're seeing travel again. Uh, but we're also seeing businesses look forward and being optimistic and investing again. And that's probably an even more important uh, sentiment that, uh, that we're all looking forward. We're all looking for growth. All the economic indicators are, are positive. And when that happens, that, that usually bodes well for companies like Workday. Yeah, you're right. There were too much in the paper today. Five stories on CapEx being spent on, not enough on yours. Now, I want to talk about a blog that you and Mr. Fernandez wrote. There's a paragraph here that troubles me. Because I think it's truth, and I don't want it to be truth. As we look to the future of work, we see the talent is everywhere, but opportunity is not, and we are committed to closing that gap. If we are companies, and we want to make a profit, and we want to have sales, and we want to expand, how come we're not hiring these people? You know, I, I think this is this is not just work aid. This is, this is the entire, uh, you know, world of corporate America and, and, and global organizations, we tend to hire the ones that, that fit perfectly and look perfect on resumes, but there's a ton of talent out there, whether they're, whether it's, it's, uh, it's veterans or, uh, you know, folks that have gone home for a while to take care, uh, care uh, caretakers and now are back in the workforce or just folks that did not uh, go to the right schools and didn't have the right opportunities. Well, they're still really valuable uh, employees going forward, and all of us just need to figure out how to embrace them. And Workday, as a leader in, in HR, I think it's our job not just to do it at Workday, but to help our customers do it as well. Whether it's through training, whether it's through uh, you know just just education, uh, we, we we can we can make we can just make everything better. Double the number of Black and Latinx leaders in the U.S. by 2023. That is one awesome and difficult goal. Why set it so so close? Why not say 2025? Why not give yourself some breathing room? Well, you know, goals have to be aggressive if you really want to drive results. And uh, it's an aggressive goal, but I think it's absolutely achievable. We're, we're a company that's known as a great place to work. We've been on those great place to work lists almost since we started the company. A big part of our success has been diversity. And I frankly would like our employee base over time to resemble the diversity in the country more so than it does today. I mean, we're better than most Silicon Valley companies, but not by a lot. And, and I'd like us to be more representative of, of, uh, of, of, our, of our population. And, you know, whenever we set aggressive goals, we, we've have figured out a way to get there. All right. Well, look, when I was at Goldman Sachs. In 1986, I was tasked to get as many people, including people of color, uh, at Cornell, at Harvard, a bunch of schools, all the schools we know that you call the right schools, which we know are no longer the right schools. But I couldn't yeah. find anybody to get or if I was up against the same uh, companies, you know, the Credit Suisse, I was up against Morgan Stanley. Where are you going to go to find these amazing people? Because a lot of them are at high schools with guidance counselors that don't tell them, listen, you could go to Stanford. They look at how many people have gone to Stanford in that school. They see none and they send the person to another fine school, but it's not on your radar screen. Well, so that, that's it. You nailed it, Jim. We're extending our, our, our net or our reach to schools that may not typically be on the list. We're, we're 
recruiting at some of the historically black uh, colleges and universities. Uh, we're, we're moving our operations. We're not moving them, but we're not just centered in California anymore. We have a big operation in Boulder. We're building offices in Atlanta. As you know, I, as I think you know, we have a big office in Dublin, uh, in Dublin Ireland. And so in, 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 many, in many cases, we're going to where the talent is, not, not forcing them to come out to California. I think that's a, that's a tough one. That's, that's tough. Cost of living is high here. Uh, people want to stay close to their families. So we have to go where the talent is. And so what I think you'll see over time is us uh, diversifying our, our locations around the country and around the globe. One last question. Did what happened at the PGA help you think in, uh, in getting some recruits? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I, I don't know if you can tell my voice is raspy, but I was rooting really hard for my buddy Phil. And what an, an amazing accomplishment. He's a class act. Uh, he handled himself with such grace. And at, at, the, at the core, he's just an innovator. And, you know, we pride ourselves in innovation. He, he innovated a new way at, at, uh, at 50 to win. And I, I, I would say just watch out. I think he's on to something. And I, I, I think you'll see a lot more of Phil in, in the next, uh, next few years. I didn't know he hung out with Tom Brady, another guy who is just permanently young. Listen, I think what you're doing is ad admirable as the numbers you delivered, if not more so. And Neil Bushry, the chairman and co-founder of Workday, WDAY. Thank you so much, Neil. Good to see you. Thank you, you Jim. Always good to be with you. Companies that take this forward look recognize that our country is not what it was when I was in a position of alleged corporate power. And it's so great to see people change. Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up, activate your sharpest investing instincts. Can this company activate some serious returns in your portfolio? Kramer with a high-octane earnings report. Next. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visited visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. In the last couple of weeks, the turbocharged growth stocks have finally started rebounding off their lows, but can they keep climbing? 
So now we got results from Okta, the cybersecurity company that handles identity management for the enterprise. The company reported excellent numbers, narrower than expected loss, higher than expected sales, up 37% year over year. Guidance for both the next quarter and the full year, some people are saying mixed. I don't know. I mean, they're talking a little bit about better sales but larger losses. I look at I look at the uh, at certain billing numbers called remaining performance obligations, and they're very good. So what do we make of these numbers? Let's check in with Todd McKinney, the chairman, co-founder, and CEO of Okta. To hear more about the quarter, where his company's headed. Mr. McKinney, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely, Todd. You know, Todd, I'm reading about these different uh, break-ins, the colonials, whatever. We know they're going all over the place. People are even willing to store some Bitcoin on their balance sheet so they can pay off. I'm thinking that a lot of what's happened is these people are getting in and they are impersonating other people. And if they did have Okta, they couldn't be impersonated. True or false? It's the, all these cybersecurity issues and the importance of cybersecurity is companies go with more modern cloud technology as they want to transform their customer experience to include websites and mobile apps. Identity is at the center of all that. You have to log that customer in securely. You have to get that employee connected to their cloud application securely. So that's an identity challenge. And all these cyber attacks, as you mentioned, whether it's the colonial attack or it's the it's the, the SolarWinds attack or the exchange attack. They always, they may break in through a network or get installed with some malware, but what they do quickly is they go after the identity system, whether it's a legacy active directory on-premise or it's another identity system, and they get through those weak identity systems and spread around. So identity is the key to many, many things, security being just one of them. Well, Todd, I have to tell you, if I were the Justice Department, I would have to try and find some way for them to hire you. And the way to do it is to go after them for paying off, like ransom, the Corrupt Government Act in 19. The Carter set this up. You weren't allowed to pay ransom. That's how they stopped it. These people are paying ransom to governments rather than spending the money on Okta to eliminate the possibility of impersonation. I don't get it. But is it going to come to that? Well, it is. a The one thing I know for sure, Jim, is that, you know, people talk about how these cybersecurity issues are helping cybersecurity companies sell more products. But when I sit next to these customers that I go talk to, when I sit next to them and look them in the eye, they're very, very concerned. They want to get to these zero trust environments. They're being hit by these supply chain attacks, these ransomware attacks. And they need help. And I think the help can come from many fronts. It could come from identity. They can get great identity from Okta. They can get better security from everyone in the ecosystem. They can get better government response. So it's really a collective thing we have to do together because customers and government agencies and public sector and our companies need help. Yes. And if our government's not going to play hardball, it's not going to go away. A lot of people, uh, Todd, they seize on different metrics. You know what? I'm out of that game. I want to see cash flow, and your cash flow is great. I want to see remaining performance obligations. I happen to be a subscription guy. I know that's the key number. 52% is the number that that really jumps out of me. That pretty much assures you're going to have some great quarters coming ahead. Yeah, it's the backlog. It's the remaining performance obligations. So how much is remaining on the signed contract? So it shows... The, the things I get excited about when I hear that number is customer success, because that means we not only have customers signing up for large deals, but they're over a long duration of time, which means there's a commitment to Okta and we have a commitment to them to make them successful over the long term. Now, uh, we had Zscale on last night, too. I know they partnered with you. I mean, obviously, there's been a big step up in, step up in spending in your space, correct, since these incidents? 
You, you're seeing it across the board. Yeah. These, these customers need to solve these problems. They need to have great identity. They need to have great security across the board. And, the, you know, Zscaler is a great partner of ours. And that's one of the examples of where we're working together to, to bring a, a better environment and a better tech stack to all the customers. All right. Now, there have been few bigger fans in the media of Okta than I am. So that allows me to ask a tough question. Uh, Mr. Mike Corey, uh, CFO. Obviously, terrific man's done some great things. Was on your audit committee for years. Knows your company. He's now departing after a very small, small, short period of time. Now you're getting a, a terrific person I know from Salesforce. But do we, when we see that kind of turnover, you know it does raise eyebrows. Yeah, absolutely. And it wasn't something we planned. I've known Mike for a long time. Mike is a great guy. He's a friend of mine. He's a friend of Okta. I, would, I think that we learned a lot working closely together. It's different than the board relationship, the management relationship is different. And I think we learned working together that it was probably better for us to, to stay friends and, and, and have a mutual parting. And a, a big part of that too, is that Brett is really ready to step up as, in this interim role. And uh, if you think of what Brett did, he ran FP&A. And one of the key things we have to get right over the next you know, several quarters is the model and the integration with Auth0. And so there's no better guy to lead us through that than Brett. So I'm excited to be working with him as the interim CFO. And we'll go out and sur- survey the market for the best person in the world. And there's there's a good chance. Brett is a strong candidate for the permanent job. All right, that is true. I should, have a, I should have a, uh, considered the Ox Zero because that's the last question I wanted to ask you. Are you happy with how that acquisition is working out? Well, we closed it on, on the third of this month. So three weeks working closely together. And besides the great feeling with the people and, and the, the, the meaning of the minds in terms of culture, the most positive thing is that when you talk to customers, it's very clear. First of all, it's very clear that their prospective customer list and their customers does not overlap that wow. much with ours. There's some overlap, but they're kind of distinct markets, this developer-centric customer identity market. And this our approach to, science, to customer identity was low-code, uh, more automated. And they're really separate segments of this $30 billion TAM. So we're collaborating well on the, on the deals we were both trying to sell to and sorting that out and getting the customer the right solution. And when you look at the guide for the year now, it includes that really that, that auth zero factor, which is going to be accelerated growth as we're going to really take over this $30 billion TAM and bring great value to customers. Well, I think that it's going to get better and better as the economy opens up. So you can go fly face to face because you are a very convincing person because you're an honest, straightforward person who works real hard. He's got a great product. That is Todd McKinnon, chairman and CEO of Okta. Love seeing you on the program. Thank you, Todd. Good to see you. Thanks, Jim. Great to be here. Guys, this is one of those you kind of hope it comes down so you can buy more. Man, money's back after the break. Coming up, each quarter is unique in its own special way. Snowflake joins the show to break down what makes this one different from all the others. Next. All right, so when's it going to be safe to circle back to the formerly high-flying cloud stocks that have been hammered this year? Take Snowflake, total Kramer fave, cloud-based data warehousing leader that came public with a bang last September. This is one of the most compelling growth stories I have ever seen. This is the fastest major growth company in the market. But great growth stories become toxic when everybody's worried about inflation. They're all about future earnings. Many years down the road, inflation erodes the value of those future earnings. So Snowflake spent months getting clobbered until a couple weeks ago when we started seeing signs that inflation might be a bait on its own. Since then, the stock has rallied a quick 27%. But then tonight, 
So they reported its numbers and it's selling off a little after what happened. Well, the company delivered spectacular sales, up a stunning 110% year over year, fastest in the in the uh, all of 2021. Guidance solid. Okay, so it wasn't a knock your sock off set of numbers, though I thought it was, given how much the stock had run in the last couple of weeks. So I think some people are looking for a monster blowout. Doesn't help with Snowflake and its fast growing compadres. No longer get the benefit of the doubt in this market. At some point, though, this group will come back in style, and when it does, this will be the one. So let's dig deeper. With Frank Slubin, he's the chairman and CEO of Snowflake. Find out more about the quarter where his company's head. Mr. Slubin, welcome back to Mad Money. Yeah, good to be back, Jim. All right, so Frank, how is it possible, given the savings, given the amount of things you need, because data, it, uh, data drives operations, it is still the super early innings and going to the cloud and looking at Snowflake. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, there's a whole bunch of uh, sort of megatrends that are operating uh, on our space. Obviously, on the one hand, uh, the modernization move from on-premise to to cloud-scale computing. Then we have uh, the rise of data science. You know, people are really trying to uh, to to drive the value, you know, from data sciences. And there's a, there's a lot of enabling technology that needs to be in place to uh, to do that. And the value of being able to enrich data, put data in context, I mean, it's opening people's eyes to, to opportunities they've never had before. So we're going through a bit of a renaissance, if you will, people really discovering the, the true value of data. It's very exciting to, uh, to be in the business uh, this day and age. I am shocked. What's been going on in Europe and Asia that they woke up? Because these are spectacular numbers. Well, you know, we uh, we were operationally, uh, you know, not set up the way we needed to be, you know, just to put it mildly. And uh, we've made a lot of moves and changes in leadership in different places. And uh, when you have a great product like Snowflake, it doesn't take long before you start seeing uh, the the effects of that. So we were pleased with the progress we're making there, but much more to come. You know. Now, it is very clear with the number of huge seven-figure deals you did versus previous, it's almost as if someone uh, flicked a switch and realized, you know what, we have no choice. We have to leave who we're using, and we have to go to Snowflake. And it happened this quarter. Well, it's it's uh, it, it, it's not all this quarter. It's, it's not that simple. A lot of what you're seeing, uh, it's sort of the tip of the iceberg, right? It's all queuing up over periods of time. Our sales cycles uh uh, are long. It's just every quarter, you know, you sort of get to see, you know, you know what, what we, uh, you know, what we're being able to harvest in that particular period. But, uh, you know, our, our business is going to conduct itself really over, you know, considerable long periods of time. And it's sort of a message to investors is, uh, you know, to really understand that, you know, we're signing on here for a journey that is, you know, five to 10 years. And, uh, it, it's not an overnight, you know, throwing a quick switch and, and and everything is great. These are these are big, big changes that we're we are experiencing in the marketplace. And we're just super happy to be in the middle of that and being an enabler of that. You know? And we know that they're big companies. We've got a DoorDash, which has suddenly grown unbelievably, a Comcast, which we work for. Uh, but you know what I like? In Rise of the Data Cloud, your book, you talk about democracy of data. You could be a one-man band and use Snowflake. I feel if I open a, snore, a, store, open a store on, uh, let, let's say, Shopify, I could hire you and only have to pay the minutes I need you so you wouldn't bankrupt me. That's what my business would grow. Yeah, it's, it's very unusual uh, in the world of software, at least in my experience, which is uh, a long time, unfortunately, these days, is that you see a single product that can handle the largest data estates in the world. 
but it can also do the smallest. And uh, that, that sort of has expanded our market opportunity uh, dramatically. And we have a very large business in, in software companies that are, that are quite small. They're just getting started. They're consuming small amounts, but they, obviously they have huge aspirations and they, uh, they can really grow to, to, to uh, very large heights. Uh, you know, as, as they go along and uh, the platform really reaches down, you know, to that to, to that level. So that's that's really great. Well, let me ask you about something. We had Exxon report today. I always love the quote in your book, which talks about how oil drove economic progress in the 20th century. Data is driving progress today. I saw Exxon. They uh, had some board members made a challenge. Had some new board members that are more ESG oriented. I am conscious that in your book you say, and this is you, your philosophy, look, I'm here to run the business. As a CEO, I only have one job, and that is to increase the value of the franchise. It's not about profits or revenues per se. The investors want to, want to maximize what their investment is potentially worth. Has that gone? out of style at a lot of companies? Um, you know, I, th- I think privately when you talk to CEOs, uh, you know, that's exactly how they feel. They under- they know what their job is. It's just in the, in, the, in the public realm, it's a little bit more difficult, you know, as we all know, you know, to uh, to reflect that. But, you know, it's hard enough to make your way in the world as it is right now for not to have your total focus committed you know, to the mission, to the to the mission of, of running the business. So I think we all know, you know, which way is up. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, look, it's important. Like, for instance, you have Expedia as one of your clients. That's Barry Diller, okay? Barry Diller's one of the toughest, but he's as tough as you, all right? He doesn't want to hear that you're busy doing something uh, that is not really involved with his account when he wants you on your account. I think a lot of people have to realize, as much as we want to devote as much time as we can to causes, there are clients, and we work for the clients. And we work for the shareholders. So sometimes we don't have the choice that people think we have. Yeah, that's 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 absolutely true. Um, I'm, I'm actually heartened to, uh, you know, by the fact that uh, you know, we're starting to come around, sort of rediscover that look at, you know, we're hired hands here. We're here to do a job. And, uh, you know, that's uh, we're doing we're doing it to the best of our abilities. That's what we do when we get up every day. Well, you know, I mean, a lot of people are saying to me, how can you uh, be with this snowflake? They, you know, they didn't make the, the stock went up and then went down. Why should I own it? Frank, you are the fastest growing publicly traded billion dollar company in the world right now. Yes, exactly. Uh, you know, growth at scale is, uh, is, is a rare thing. And, uh, you know, we're not a growth at all cost uh, company. You see our improving efficiencies at the gross margin line, at the operating line as well as on, on cash flow. So, right. you know, we're, we're trying to be a fast investor, but we want to do it, you know, very with high yield and with high efficiency. And you're seeing that in the numbers. We're really improving across the board, not just at the top end. You know. Yeah. I mean, look, I, if everyone expected this stock to go to 1,000 day one, they haven't studied Frank, data domain. We had a Neil Bush for you, and that was a win for you. And they haven't studied how to make really big money in the market. And that's to stick with the guy who knows how to do it. Frank Slubin, chairman and CEO of Snowflake. Thank you for coming on the show, Frank. You bet. Thanks, Jeff. Those of you who jump ship because the stock goes down a little bit, I want you to stay away from this one. I don't want you to make the money that Frank Slupin's going to make. Man, money's back in the break. Stick around. May I make a suggestion? I would stay with him. The lightning round is coming up next. <laughs> it is time. It's time for the lightning round. Come on, of course, we're going to see some and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy, time for the lightning round. I'm going to start with, uh, with John in New York. John. 
Booyah, Jim. Been a fan for over a decade. Long term, what do you think about $74 a share? Chewy. Chewy has one of those businesses where you sign up for auto renewal. Auto renewal is the single most profitable form of business in the world today. I am a buyer. Chewy. Joe in Florida. Joe. Hello, Mr. Kramer. My my son, Anthony, is uh, he has money in a index fund. All right. He put... He purchased 10 shares of Trade Desk at 498. Oh, he bought it when it was down. That was smart. I think you're making a comeback. The quarter wasn't nearly as bad as the stock indicated. I think your son's got horses. Jay in Florida. Jay. Hey, Kramer. It's Jay here in Florida. Thanks for taking my call. What's going what are on? Your thoughts on uh, what are your thoughts on APT, App Loving? Man, how did you find that one? I mean, that's just another one of those stocks that I got to do work on because it sounds like all the other stocks. I'll come back. I'll do homework. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, chomp into greatness. Kramer dreams big on how Fang is brushing into the future with a sharp assist from Microsoft. Next. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Carl, I mean, it's sometimes difficult to be with my partner who's completely out of touch with the people who go to Burlington I, to get I the hear bargain. <laughs> he thinks Burlington is a town of Vermont. Well, it is. <laughs> Burlington, Vermont. <laughs> it is. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Jim Cramer, you're one of my heroes. I look forward to your show every weeknight. Thank you so much for helping beginning investors like me. When you talk about the market, I just believe that you're spot on. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. Every night we watch you, I have learned and earned. You never want to take great companies for granted. But you see a lot of that in the way we judge big tech. When it comes to FANG plus M, my acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, and Microsoft, they don't get much credit for the fact that they're taking over the world. Instead, they're often written off as has-beens, just exhausted dinosaurs, now know more for savage government inquiries than genuine innovations. There's a lot of myopic focus on their minor missteps and not much excitement for everything that they're doing right. I think that's a mistake. Now, don't get me wrong. These are some of the richest companies in the world. Sometimes they do things that are, let's say, uh, eccentric. When Amazon spends $8.45 billion on a film and TV studio like they're doing with MGM, I regard it as a real head scratcher. Granted, Amazon has failed to scale in entertainment, and this deal could help. It'd be nice to ask Alexa, Alexa, please put on Goldfinger uh, and have it. Might work. You know, it could work. But MGM is not known for its great productions these days. Still, $8 billion is a rounding error for these guys, and maybe they see something that I'm missing. They certainly need to change things up in sports or gaming because they're squandering their NFL rights by having nothing special surrounding the games. But then you get some little-noticed things out of Fang that really should take your breath away, but you probably don't even read them. Case in point, this morning, the Wall Street Journal reported that Google's partnered with HCA, that's the gigantic hospital chain, to take patient records and use them to make healthcare algorithms that help improve efficiency and produce better outcomes. 
The patient data will be stripped of identifying information, so there's no HIPAA violation, thank heavens. Now, I think this is amazing. We've got a treasure trove of healthcare data that can be stored in Google Cloud and then analyzed so that the hospitals can figure out how to do a better job with patients. Who knows? This could even help develop medicines without additional human guinea pigs. Now, I know IBM tried to do something similar with Watson a while ago, but they weren't able to pull it off. I think this is one of those things that's a great idea. But it can't work unless you get buy-in from the healthcare professionals, which IBM didn't have. Google's program, program, it's actually the opposite. It's as if Watson landed the biggest possible client and is now going to use artificial intelligence to help them do a better job. The great thing about this move from Google, unlike IBM's earlier attempts, they're not trumpeting anything here. They're just talking about algorithms, something makes your eyes glaze over. Uh, Totally non-promotional. I've been waiting for Google to do something big in healthcare besides partnering with Dexcom for diabetes analytics. I've been waiting for years. I think this is it. You've got to understand, the healthcare industry has all these electric uh, medical records, and they don't do anything with them. There's so much useful data in here that could help you, the patient. When you go to the doctor, they'll often give you advice that's based on their own experience. That's called anecdotal. If you ask for something more empirical, that makes it less of a guessing game. But it isn't there. That's what Google's doing with this program. If it works, it is a gigantic deal. Honestly, this is a kind of incredible thing that Fang plus Microsoft come up with routinely. Yet you rarely hear much about it. It's the kind of thing that makes you want to buy the stock. And even though Google's up 36% for the year, you know what? I think it's got a lot more room to run. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise you I'd find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Craver. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.